0: The Unshackled Waves, episode 57. Hello and welcome to the Unshackled Waves podcast. I'm Tim Wilms, back for another interview show this week. Our guest for today is YouTuber True Deal Tom. He is an Australian YouTuber, has over 3,000 subscribers. He does videos about philosophy and occasionally comments on current events. Uh, he has an emphasis on critical thinking and scepticism. His views come from a libertarian background, though he has sympathy with the alt-right. He's a contributor to the Rational Rise website, who we've had on the program before. He's also a a contributor at uh, Being Libertarian, uh, both at the website and the Facebook page. I've actually met him in person at the recent Friedman conference, which the Unshackled was at. So I thought I'd invite him on today to talk philosophy and discuss some of his videos. So Trudeau, Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Uh, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, um, so I guess I will start with, I feel that you and me have sort of been on the same sort of journey. Um, We both come from a libertarian background, but we've migrated over the past two years to the uh, alt-light or alt-right, which are the two new political philosophies uh, there. Why do you think this has happened?
1: Well. I think that for a very long time, the libertarian movement, how it manifested on the internet, it greatly talked about very politically removed and irrelevant ideas about anarcho-capitalism and the engineering behind the state. And these are very valid things to discuss. But it didn't bear any resemblance to what was happening in the real world today. And I think as libertarians were kind of drawn in to real world intricacies. Uh, the split in libertarians and how they think about the world and the assumptions they make and what they what their real principles are, kind of became very much highlighted. So, for for instance, I think one of the biggest catalysts to the split would be the migrant crisis. Because it's for a very long time, borders wasn't very much discussed. Like if you look at Stefan Molyneux and Christopher Cantwell, uh, before the migrant crisis happened in 2014 and so on, they didn't really talk about borders as an issue. They were much more focused on uh, gun rights and the police and all of these kind of issues. And with the migrant crisis, uh, a, a, a vast amount of literature kind of came along with it that people started adopting to kind of explain how these people behave differently than the native populations of the West, of the countries they were migrating to. And um, I think a lot of this literature all uh, kind of perpetuated the split even more so. For instance, uh, if you take a book like The Bell Curve, which would probably be one of the biggest, uh, most influential books when it comes to bringing libertarians to the alt-right, it, it's essentially a compilation of studies over the last 50, 60, or 70 years or so um, on IQ and income and race and these very controversial issues and one of its most profound controversial conclusions would be that essentially over the last 60 or so years not a single study has been produced that passes the most basic scientific metrics like peer review and etc that concludes anything different than that there are differences between human populations and IQ and how the book the book uses the term race to describe this and um this kind of essentially broke a egalitarian narrative that a lot of libertarians have and the people that had this Idea that in under a libertarian social order there would be like an ab- abundance of resources, and that people would uh, exclude it would be a society of, of in exclusion and all these kind of very left wing narratives they kind of moved further to the left I think, in contrast to this and one one of the biggest uh, statements about the book I would say would be regarding that there's kind of a starting point. That is genetic and therefore not determinant by social factors. So, so social engineering, which is really the conclusion of of egalitarianism, can't really play a role in making everybody equal. For instance, so one of the most profound conclusions would 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 be to do with with income. So, and sorry if I'm if I'm rambling about this, but like re, re, regarding one of the one of the conclusions in the book is that, regarding the average kind of white American, uh, those in the bottom five percent of the IQ distribution are uh, are 15 times more likely to be poor than those with IQs in the top five percent. And what this means is that it actually has a great uh, intelligence has is a greater predictor of poverty than I uh than, than socioeconomic status. because if we replace IQ with the socioeconomic background, like we take the top five percent of people in, uh, born into like a wealthy family in the bottom five percent, then um, those who are born poor are about eight times as likely to fall below the poverty line as an adult than someone who was born rich while someone who was born in poverty with an IQ of 100, that is of average intelligence, has about a 90% chance of being out of poverty by the time they are 30. And there are similar statistics on how those with low IQs born out of poverty are at higher risk of poverty than those born with higher IQs. And the significance of this is that when, when people started talking about these statistics People didn't really in the libertarian movement didn't really take kindly to it. Like I know Christopher Cantwell talked about these things, and he was fired from various projects that he was working on. And so so there was a lot of hostility received by those who we would now call left libertarians uh, and and people like Adam Kokesh and and pork the pork porcupine Fests in New Hampshire and um, other such things. I know another text that very much perpetuated this would be anonymous conservatives, the evolutionary psychology behind politics, because, because this text just like the bell curve, they kind of t- uh, paint a narrative in that not everybody, not all groups of people are compatible with a libertarian social order, like some of these people can't exist in a libertarian social order, and th- and th- it runs very contradictory to Uh, A lot of the work by people like Adam Kokesh and Jeffrey Tucker who talk about this narrative that liberty is for everybody. So it's very much a much more right-wing approach to to liberty, one of uh, absolute exclusion and private property and hierarchy. And those with left-wing sentiments are very much opposed to these things. So so that's, I think, the ideological split to a large extent. And then, when it comes to the the real world events, like the, for example, in the in the early stages of the election, when Rand Paul was the person that libertarians were supporting, uh, th- this was a stage where p- where puritism was much greater in the libertarian movement. Like a lot of people actually hated Rand Paul because he had much more conservative sentiments than uh, his father, Ron Paul. But I think when he dropped out and the choice was between Gary Johnson and Donald Trump for Libertarians, people kind of realized that they didn't have time to to be to go down this purity spiral. So a lot of people, um, started siding behind Donald Trump. These people would call themselves Libertarian realists. And then the more pure, uh, purist people either went behind Gary Johnson or didn't vote at all. So um, yeah, I, th- I think both the election, the migrant crisis and the emergence of varying pieces of work about anti-egalitarian explanations of human behavior are very much responsible for the split. And, And another thing that is very much responsible is that it's something that is very true, I believe, is that negative ideologies can't sustain themselves for very long before being fulfilled by a positive ideology. For example, as the West becomes more secular, We can see the rise of cultural Marxism and all of these other ideologies, which the authors of, very much admit to attempting to replace the vacuum made by the removal of Christianity and other religions. Like if you read George George Lukacs, a author from the Hungarian Soviet who fled to Germany and was one of the key founders of the Frankfurt School, uh, the the think tank behind cultural Marxism, he himself wrote about how he wanted to instill in his followers a similar belief to that of a religious fundamentalist and and similarly in things like the, the, uh, the, the Spanish uh, commune, uh, the workers were often uh, being told that the, the collective was kind of greater than themselves and these other metaphysical doctrines to, to kind of fulfill the vacuum that is left when positive ideologies leave, a population. And libertarianism, although you can argue about it being a negative or a positive ideology, uh, most people in the libertarian movement kind of act like it's a negative one, like they spend most time more time criticizing the state and other statist ideologies than they do uh, talking about how we should act and, and talking about positive views about the world. So it one could say that it was just a matter of time before. Like an identitarian or just any ideology that is a positive uh, ideology about the world would come in and, and take its place. But yeah, so the, I think there's like this varying explanations behind the shift. Um, but yeah, that's probably what I what I would posit.
0: I definitely agree that the migrant crisis was definitely the cause of a big slip, But I. I do disagree with the the race realists on this which is why I'm alt-light and not alt-right is that the reason why I think we were seeing uh, open borders proved to be a disaster and uh, the rise of uh, Islamic terror is because we were importing a totalitarian ideology I didn't see these debates about race and IQ as being relevant it was the fact that the people coming in they believe in uh, an ideology which is about the, the total state, about oppressing people they don't like, that's what we what uh, was really frightening.
1: Yeah, um, I think that there's definitely, I think the ideological part of immigration is very much relevant. I think that it's a really bad idea to, to import people who are ideologically opposed to liberty. But there's definitely like libertarianism and there's a lot of research on the kind of personality behind ideologies because it's not that everybody can just come to believe anything if they've given good reasons um there's a lot of there's a wealth of data that suggests that one of the biggest determinants of what you believe is your personality like if you do a standardized personality test on somebody using the big five uh you can pretty much predict what people will think about politics based on their level of conscientiousness or their level of openness. And I don't know what these terms mean is conscientiousness is sim, sim, uh, your, your adherence to rules in your life. Like people with conscientiousness tend to be very successful in their jobs, very disciplined. Your ability to assign roles to people and yourselves. While openness is to do with your warmth to other people, your friendliness, your openness. And naturally conscientiousness is the greatest predictor of conservatism and openness is in a person is one of the biggest predictors of, of liberalism in the American sense of the word. Um and but with libertarians, and there's a study by uh, Jonathan Haidt that talks about this, which I've referenced several times on my channel, uh, I, I believe it's called the the morality or the psychology behind libertarianism. And it does a much more comprehensive personality test on a sample size of 100,000 people uh, between conservatives, liberals, and libertarians. And what the study concludes is that the need for cognition uh, is highest amongst people who consider themselves libertarians. And that if you have a very high need for cognition and systematizing, like that is, you're a person that builds models and relies on reason rather than Uh, empathy and and disgust and all of these other things that we see in liberals and conservatives, then you're much more likely to be a libertarian. However, there's also a wealth of data that suggests that these people who are migrating from the third world don't have a psychology that on average, that is like plenty of them do, and and those people should be allowed in. But just generally speaking, whether it be due to the environment that they're they're coming from or, or their genetics, they're the the psychology underlying these people do, isn't one that will be likely to be friendly to libertarian ideals. And one of the biggest ones essentially, and one of the most controversial ones, would definitely be IQ. In that like white people do not have the highest IQs, racially speaking, uh, both Ashkenazi Jews and Asians do. Um, but there is an argument to be made that when you're importing people who have an IQ on average of 85 or even lower in some cases, that it's going to be much more difficult to have these people respond to libertarian ideas because they are ones that have very high time preference and that they're much more likely to go onto social security and other systems that will have long-term costs that wouldn't be uh, very much factored into the decision-making process of someone with a very high time preference. And other such ideas that kind of make, and there's and there's other there's a there's a wealth of data pretty much that just suggests that it's there's a certain population that is more respondent to libertarianism than others, and the ones that we are importing are one of the ones that aren't.
0: Yeah, I'm not disputing the the, the science of what you're saying, but what I'm saying is that. That's not the the main problem that we were facing. It was the I always bring it down to the the ideology. I always prefer to focus on on culture rather than race because that is what we were seeing. We were seeing uh, where did all of these uh, totalitarian ideas came from? They came from the Islamic texts. So I consider sort of all these you know uh, racial psychological issues. Uh, secondary as well, but it, but it wasn't just the migrant uh, crisis which uh, led to the split in the libertarian movement. It was also that, uh, as we call them, the regressive left. Uh, especially in the United States, they just became out of control. I mean. Uh, there, there's that famous uh, quote of Anita Sarkeesian saying, "Everything's racist, everything's sexist, everything's homophobic," and uh, college campuses were being taken over by people who claiming that you know everything was white patriarchal oppression. We saw Black Lives Matter burning down cities, and then we went from suddenly two genders to seventy six genders, and so it was right. just basically <clears throat> the left was turning basically. Western society on its head and saying that it's all rotten, it's all terrible, it needs to basically go, and left libertarians were sort of indulging them, sort of saying, yeah, there's sort of, you know, some merit in, in what you're saying because they saw the state as an oppressor, and so they thought, oh, you're talking about oppression, like, yeah, we're on the same page here, and uh, I think that's also where another split emerged.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, firstly, I, I just want to say I agree with the comments you made in that ideology is always the primary problem. Like when it comes to the the migrant crisis, I think like race is a very secondary issue. I think ideology is is the most important thing to address. Uh, but yes, when it comes to the split in libertarianism with the ultra ultra right and the left libertarians, it's it's definitely a reactionary thing. It's something that uh it it has happened because of of yeah, d- definitely the rise of social justice in the left, because the left has has changed. Like the, the left used to, in the United States, where libertarianism primarily takes place as a movement, the left in the United States used to be the, the place for free speech. If you were somebody who believed in free speech and, and free expression, then you were someone who would probably be a Democrat, because you had shows like John Stewart Bill Maher, Colbert, and 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 these people, of course, they were socialists and they had stupid economic policies. But the fact was that they they uh, were proud advocates of free speech and were very politically incorrect and said very controversial things. So they the left kind of had that on their side, and the Republicans were the ones who were typically seen as wanting to censor things. But over the last five years, the left has adopted in America, anyway, has adopted a much more European. Strategy in that it's embraced identity politics, and it's uh, cracked down on collectivism. When the the left used to be a in America used to be a much more classically liberal uh, uh, left. So, yeah, I definitely think the split in the movement is very much reactionary to the the emergence of social justice, and I think that a lot of the the libertarians um, who sympathize with the left are are doing so out of a confusion over private property and the state, and and I would say an illiteracy on it. Um, But yeah, very much so, I, I definitely agree.
0: I also think that the reason why these libertarians have sympathy with the left is because they themselves attracted the the leftist bubble. I mean, they often come from the inner cities, consume the mainstream media, and so they basically think that the left is society and completely forget about, you know, the suburbs, the, the towns, where what ordinary people are thinking and, you know, they were, were not liking basically the left telling them, you know, your society is terrible, you're all bigots for basically existing, uh, you're, you're what's wrong with the world and these were people who were just living their lives and, you know, not hurting anybody.
1: Yeah, you, that's definitely true. Because it, referencing that study by Jonathan Haidt with the personality differences between libertarians, conservatives, and liberals, we're very much we very much have more in common with liberals. Um, we tend to score with openness and empathy and disgust very low. We're pretty much emotionally undeveloped in a way. Like we we tend to be overly reliant on reason, and. Um, when it comes to this disgust and conscientiousness, uh, we're much more closer to liberals than we are conservatives. So we tend to hang out with liberals. We tend to be in universities and we tend to be with these uh, types of people who are much more prone to progressive thought than conservatives are. So, yeah, we're very much more exposed to their ideas than we are exposed to conservative ones. There's also a fact that the libertarian party like a lot of it could also be a marketing strategy because the libertarians they don't they kind of don't want to embrace the fact that they're a right-wing ideology just in nature of um, like if you like there's a lot of argument to be made a lot of people think that libertarianism is a kind of center position but if you look at the right wing and what and all the ideologies that we can firmly put on it like conservatism or maybe uh, many brands of fascism uh, the, the things that they all have in common would be things like hierarchy, anti-egalitarianism, in a lot of times anti-democracy, and all of the facets that lead us to believe an ideology is right-wing are equally true of libertarianism. Yet in especially in the United States, libertarians try and market themselves as like the center ideology as in if you're sick of the Democrats and you're sick of the Republicans, then vote libertarian and and they they usually market themselves as being that independent center old centrist, skeptical of the, of the major parties' uh, vote when when in reality they're actually like a hard right movement. And um, I think a lot of that delusional kind of marketing strategy could also be very much responsible for why a lot of libertarians have started sympathizing with the left.
0: Well, the reason why the Libertarian Party does that is because they think by adopting this centrist strategy is that, that will that's what will make uh, media organisations like New York Times and BuzzFeed like them, when uh, often that's the case with uh, people on the left is like, you, you say all these things like oh you, you don't like when the the government does this but when they find out that you're in favor of capitalism free markets it's like oh how can you you know be for the corporate you know fat cats and the wicked oppressors and then it's just end of conversation
1: yeah it's a it's a bad strategy because the left-wing aren't tolerant of of outliers in the in their movement um, to so, your yeah, degree, it's definitely not a, a wise strategy. And I, I would actually think focusing on the Second Amendment and free trade and and all of these things would actually probably be a better marketing strategy for, for libertarians than trying to pretend that they're this center, moderate movement.
0: Yeah, definitely true. Though one of the concerns I do have with the the libertarians who've migrated to the alt-right is they're now starting to work with or I guess you would call them national socialists. people like Richard Spencer and these uh, are people who they're for protectionism they're for large welfare state universal health care state-run education and I don't think that libertarians should ever abandon you know, capitalism as the, the centerpiece of their, their ideology. So even though you might agree with national socialists on some of the more issues to do with you know, demographic borders, uh, I still don't think it's wise to work with status period. I mean, I say the same working with you know, social conservatives or uh, people, uh, people on the left who want to be government.
1: Um, Yeah, so it's important to make the distinction, and I'm sure that you know this, that when we say national socialist, you're not talking about Nazis, you're talking about people who are nationalists who then also have some moderate socialist beliefs. Like, they're not in favor of controlling all of the prices of an economy and having private enterprise that is completely dictated by the state, which obviously isn't private enterprise. But we're 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 talking about an identitarian movement that isn't focused on economics as its primary um, concern. Because the thing about libertarianism is it's a very philosophical ideology and it comes from that very high need for cognition that libertarians have because you take these basic starting points like self-ownership and property rights which they themselves are deducible from some sort of state of nature in political philosophy and from those you can deduce answers about things that uh such as the business cycle and central banking and all of these things well when we talk about identitarianism we can't deduce any answers about the world other than just this tribalistic preservation of our own race. It's almost like a form of moral relativism, which is interesting because the alt-right are one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest enemies of nihilism and cultural relativism. Uh, supposedly, that's what they market themselves as. Yet you can't deduce any ethical truths about their ideology other than tribalism, which I believe in, and it's itself makes ethics relative to your group. Um, but but when it comes to economics they very much they seldom have anything interesting or intelligent to say because it's not one of the foundations of their movement so when it comes to people like richard spencer as soon as as they start trying to talk about economics it's just cringe it's cringeworthy in my opinion like they just don't know what they're talking about because their ideology has nothing to say about it like they're just kind of they're just kind of guessing what would be the best movement without any Idea about price theory, supply and demand, and and all of these all all of these kind of really essential economic ideas. But so yeah, I think that there's a certain mindset that comes with allying yourself with these people, and that is that race is probably the biggest, like racism is 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 one of the most crucial issues facing the contemporary world today. Because like like if you listen to Christopher Cantwell and a lot of these people who easily um, would want to work with people who want absolute government control over people's lives, like people like fas- people who call themselves fascists and, and actual national socialists, like people who support Nazism they think that what the the future of libertarianism is the future of the white race and that it, because libertarianism is pr- predominantly composed of white people that as soon as the white race disappears then libertarianism will also disappears and i i honestly believe that there is truth to this claim i think that libertarian ideas uh, they sit on hundreds of years of ideological pro- progress that only ca- occurred in the western world wh- which is pop so, so there's a definitely there's definitely a large correlation in terms of white people being more uh ex- more sympathetic with with libertarianism so so there's definitely some tr- truth to that but i, I think that as- abandoning your ideology through associating with people who want absolute authoritarian control over everybody's lives is definitely seems very contradictory to me
0: yeah and, th- and that's where, where i have a big problem with uh cantwell christopher cantwell on this issue because he he thinks that you know why genocide is the most important issue so he's prepared to pretty much abandon everything which it's i i i really don't get why People are suddenly hung up on the, the concept of race mixing. Like, if I want to like reproduce with uh, a coloured woman, like that's my business. Like, why should why should it matter to to people that that I'm reproducing with her?
1: Yeah, and it's, that's exactly one of the issues with it is that it puts identity first rather than property rights, and the and the two are very much not they're, they're very much incompatible because it's it's amazingly difficult to try and have some sort of ethnostate or have any sort of preservation of any race without violating property rights or the non-aggression principle and all of these libertarian ideas. I honestly think that al- this is not true for a lot of libertarians, but I definitely think that a lot of the libertarians on the hard alt-right, like people who would say, I'm a white nationalist and a libertarian, are definitely statists with cognitive dissonance.
0: Yeah, probably. but. I have been, I guess, uh, reassured that um, I, get, I guess borderline alt right libertarian websites such as Liberty Hangout have denounced Richard Spencer for you know, his views on economics. So you know they they are wanting to still keep capitalism as the as the main centerpiece. Now I wanted to.
1: Yeah. Oh, did you I was just to... gonna i say there's also a difference between the alt-right and the alt light And because the alt-right is used very broadly, um, a, a whole plethora of people who have nothing to do with Richard Spencer's beliefs and aren't white identitarians are lumped into the alt-right all the time. Because the, the alt-right is often used to just describe people who are anti-establishment right-wingers, so people who, could, who are re- reacting to this rise of social justice and pr- provoking... Uh, provoking people with ideas about sex realism and sometimes race realism, and and these general kind of edgy beliefs, but that but that would definitely be reserved for people who could call themselves alt light The alt right usually describes people who believe in a, a number of uh, what what some people would call heresies. They discuss ideas that are from mainstream discourse, uh, such as Holocaust denial, race realism. Uh, ethnostatism and other such ideas and these are people like Richard Spencer, Millennial Woes, uh, Greg Johnson and, and these types of alt-righters. So when it com- a lot of libertarians have definitely sided with the first lot, the alt-right, and have definitely started discussing these ideas. But when it comes to actual ethnostatism, people like Liberty Hangout and That Guy T and all these other people who are considered alt-right libertarians, they really aren't that uh, in cahoots with these people.
0: Yeah, which is, uh, as I said, uh, reassuring from, yeah. So, uh somebody from my point of view who still thinks that, you know, capitalism is an important message. Now, one of your videos uh, recently which caught my interest was on R. K. selection theory. Now, uh, it talks about different uh, p- personality types. Now, a lot of it went completely over my head and I had to uh, go and do some additional reading on it. And I somewhat understood it a bit better, but uh, I'd like to ask you to put put forward in as basic terms as possible, what is RK selection theory and why does it matter?
1: Yeah, no worries. So, the text, there's a text called The Evolutionary Psychology Behind Politics, and it was published by somebody named Anonymous Conservative. And it's a text that is also a large catalyst for the split in the left and right libertarians because again it solidifies this message that there's some groups of people that just can't coexist with a libertarian social order. And one of the reasons why is because it posits that these people are kind of psychologically determined to believe these things about social justice and uh, anti-property rights and collectivism. and. It uses what is called RK selection theory to explain it. Now what RK selection theory is, is essentially the two two reproductive strategies that occur within different groups of organisms. Now this isn't like a dichotomy, it's not the case that an organism is always R or K or a population is always R or K. They just tend to be the greatest or the most common reproductive strategies to occur within two different within a population so for instance um it run the rk idea runs on a bunch of assumptions about different about how a species operates one of them being that they live in a area that is populated by this species enough that they are constantly or consistently uh running into each other so for example an outlier would be like a grizzly bear this is an animal that doesn't um run into others of its own group very often, so it displays characteristics of both. Now, of both R and K. So, what is R and K? Well, they pretty much, to use very basic terms, it's very easy to explain these concepts by referring to an animal that is consistently one or the other. So, for example, you take wolves. This is a species that is consistently K-selected, and then you take rabbits. This is a species that is consistently R-selected. Now, what makes one R or one K is its is its um, that that population's access to resources. So you take the rabbit. The rabbit is a species that lives in an abundance of resources. It has grass to eat, and it doesn't have to compete with each other to to gain access to to resources because it can just keep eating grass. And if you wanted to compete with other rabbits for for resources, it's just a waste of energy. So there's no evolutionary pressure to compete in the same way because resources are abundant there's no evolutionary pressure to have a high investment in your childbearing. You can have children and have one parent raise them for a short amount of time before they are able to go off into the world because they don't need to have a fit, they don't need to be a fit species they can just because resources are so readily available. Um, this also means that they don't need to live for they don't need to live for very long until they can reproduce they can reproduce very early in life for these same such reasons um, well if you look at a case selected species like a wolf uh, this is a species that has very it lives in scarcity it has to hunt for food and a lot of the time a lot of wolves will go starving and because the resources the by necessity of the environment they live in uh Some will always go without. They need to compete very fiercely to get to get access to resources. So what this means is that uh, wolves will have high investment in their in their offspring because in order for their genes to be passed on, their offspring need to be very fit, very able to compete. Uh, And what this means is that there will be uh, uh, two parent child raising will be selected for. And what this also means is there will be a high Awareness of in group and out group because it's a very uh, assuring strategy to group with other, with with small amounts of other wolves that that could help you resources and have like a, a division of labor, so to speak. So, when it comes to their political ideologies, the general thesis of anonymous conservative is that. We can look at R and K selected individuals or groups within the human population. The humans being mostly K selected in that we have high investment in child rearing. We have two parent. Uh, we we raise our children with two parents. We're very competitive, and generally for most of our existence, resources have been scarce. And what uh anonymous conservative believes is that the conservative mindset can be that parallels very much with the case selected organism in that they cherish competition whether it be through capitalism or warfare they uh, want high investment in their children um, being in often in favor of traditional marriage and and the nuclear family they want their children reproducing later in life when they are more fit to have children and pass on their genes, so therefore they're very much opposed to things like sex ed and other sexualizations of children, whether it be in the education system or in the media. And other such, and they display other such characteristics that very much correlate with a K-selected organism. Well, if you look at the left, Anonymous Conservative would conclude that they very much correlate with the R-selected organism in that they have this psychology that is premised on the idea that there is a abundance of resources and that we can just distribute everything in, in, in central, through central planning in a way that everybody will have resources and no one will have to go without. Therefore, they usually loathe competition, whether that be through capitalism or through warfare. They uh, are very tolerant of the sexualization of children, whether this be the modern left wanting to have Sex ed classes be constantly taught at younger in younger years and more excessively, or historically, when we look at things like the Hungarian Soviet, where they were, had these uh, toxic masculinity classes and other very sexual uh, education courses taught to children. Um, in a, and in addition, they tend to be not very interested in two-parent, uh, high investment child rearing and tend to be very tolerant towards alternative non-family lifestyles, like gay marriage, for instance, and, and other such ideas. So, so the idea is that the left and the right kind of evolved within humans through different reproductive strategies by different groups, rather than being the product of idealism and, and debates and rationality, as it, we kind of feel, you know, we kind of have this idea in our heads that we've arrived at all of our beliefs. Through pure reason, rather than any underlying biological determinants. So, yeah, that that's kind of the general thesis behind anonymous conservatives' texts. In a in a, in a very brief uh, to explain it very br- briefly. So, one of the reasons why R.K. selection theory is so antithetical to egalitarianism is it has this underlying assumption that people. Put in the exact same environment, given the uh, with seemingly equal intelligence, will come to different conclusions and behave differently. Because if you look at all the Soviets in history, like whether it be Mao or Lenin, they typically believe in the blank slate in that humans are born with no inherent values and that it's the environment that. Uh, creates who they are as an adult. And one of the reasons why this is, is because they believe that humans are somehow perfectible through social engineering and uh, central planning. And that if we just distribute resources to enough people, everybody will behave fine. And and like the underlying reasons for crime, for poverty, and for most uh, deviant, undesirable behaviors, is just simply... The greed of others and and the and the case-selected features of others, so to speak. So it's very much the case that anonymous conservatives' work will be very hesitantly accepted by even non-leftists who are simply egalitarian, because it's just a very scary thought to uh, people who aren't who aren't very competitive in nature, people who who don't think that yeah, so it's just a very, it's just a very antithetical to, to egalitarianism. So a lot of people have difficulty accepting it, but nonetheless, it's a very crucial text, also to the split in libertarianism, right and to the left.
0: Now, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, anarcho capitalism and some of the misconceptions about it. So, uh, contrary to what some people think, in anarcho capitalism, it wouldn't be basically a world without any rules or order whatsoever. I mean, there would still be some form of community uh, governance. There'd be private security firms providing uh, secure property rights, enforcing contracts, but the key thing is that it would be voluntary. I mean, people would agree to be... Bound by these rules, and you also have the the liberty to decide who you want to live with. Uh, if you don't want to live in a certain certain community under their rules, you can go and and live so- somewhere else with with people who 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 you do share a culture and similar values with. Um, uh, also, the the reason. There's another concept which is it's quite a talking point in libertarian circles, which is uh, Hans Herman Hopper, uh, his uh, physical removal uh, argument, which means that in an anarcho-capitalist community, you can physically remove undesirables, degenerates from uh, from your community to make sure uh, make sure that you are living in a community that's in tune with with your values. Do you want to? Uh, elaborate on, on how this is all consistent with voluntarism and and capitalism and liberty?
1: Yeah, so essentially the need for physical removal is a necessity for the continuation of any libertarian social order and the reason why is because for two reasons. Firstly, when it comes to property rights, one of the most essential ways of protecting your property rights is exclusion for example if you run a business say whether it be insurance you have a uh ab- there's an absolute incentive to exclude people who make bad decisions because otherwise you will be more likely to have to um ha- you, you know you, you would have higher premiums because you would be more you'd be insuring people who make bad decisions and and, and so you have a very much incentive you you have a very great incentive to exclude these people similarly if you run a university there's a uh, you want to have your university have a good reputation and you want to exclude people who might get lower than a certain mark people who are likely to be bad students and etc and so it's, and this is also true in a libertarian social order and one of the reasons why this is is because un, something that all statist societies have is they they have a means of perpetuating their existence into the future. There is a reason why a state will exist today and will also exist in five years from now, and that is because they have a means of they they have a means of of removing outsiders from the uh, or people who disagree with the status quo from the situation. You don't have a right to disagree with the state. If you think that it's if you think that it's morally okay to do something that the state does does not think is morally okay, then they will use coercion against you and imprison you to remove you from society. While in a libertarian social order, there isn't a monopoly on ideas, there isn't a monopoly on, on ideology in which you have no right to disagree with it. So, therefore, property owners will have to exercise their property rights in such a way to maintain their social order. And the reason, again, is because under a in a libertarian society, the sole thing continuing its existence is, is that everybody agrees with libertarianism. If the society no longer agrees with libertarianism, then it will become a statist society because there's no there's no apparatus, there's no institutional effort to monopolize on the ide- ideology other than the voluntary coordination of property owners to exclude undesirables from their property. Now a lot of people might think physical removal is incompatible with the non-aggression principle and other such key foundations of libertarianism but this is simply not true
0: very violent. It sounds like a violent action. I think that's where the the controversy comes in
1: Yeah right but we're not talking about like because often people talk about throwing people from helicopters and other such things like that but Physical removal, in it, in the way Hans hermann Hopper writes about it, is simply eviction. It's simply telling people who want to aggress against you, whether it be through in, uh, instituting democracy, egalitarianism, and other ideas that are antithetical to property rights, to say, "Hey, you can't live with us because you want to aggress against us." And 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 we you need to have a culture of libertarianism of the non-aggression principle in order to sustain that society, and. So it doesn't really, it doesn't, because if somebody owns property, then the fact is they can evict them for whatever reason they want. They can evict them in terms of their religion, their race, and other ideas of absolute exclusion. That would seem very impermissible to the egalitarian of today. So it doesn't even matter that they are aggressors when I, I do believe they are. It's just the fact that in a, in an anarcho-capitalist or libertarian social order where there's absolute private property, then every single step you make that's on somebody else's property must be is premised on their consent and and their voluntarism. So th- there's no commons in a in a libertarian social order. No roads or land that you can migrate over without having having to abide by the rules of whoever owns it. So that, and to address how you said there's misconceptions, that's one of the things. In an anarcho-capitalist society, there's actually more rules there are today because there's no commons.
0: Yeah, uh, basically... Uh, physical removal. It's basically another term for it. it's freedom of association. I mean, if if somebody is forcing themselves upon you when you ha- uh, on your property when you haven't agreed to that, then you have a right to evict them. And and it's also. Uh, because Hans Hermann Hopper talks about uh, uh, physically removing degenerates, having a, a moral society, which uh, I think is actually a good thing. Because, in the, one of the problems with the, the current way the world is set up, is that people of different cultures and lifestyles they are all forced to live together under the, the one set of rules, and this is why we have all these uh, culture wars. And so, wouldn't it be better in a an narco capitalist community, like if uh, one group has their, you know, moral society and then the the others they can live in, I've, I've come up with a new term for it, they can live in their, their own
1: community called Digenistan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's very true. Like, a lot of people say, how can you be against, like, because we live in a society where, uh, in any case, like, for example, under Obamacare, the insurer has to uh, they cannot exclude their insurance company from those who make bad decisions, and and we and similar similar things with multiculturalism. Like a lot of people say, how can you be against multiculturalism and not be an ethnostatist? When the fact is, I'm for capitalism. I'm against group rights in general. I think all groups should have to compete with each other, but, and none of them should have a coercive advantage upon others. But yes, physical as a concept is synonymous with the freedom of association. Um, to the argument which people have trouble accepting which is that the left and other people who accept collectivism and egalitarianism and etc are indeed aggressors and this is something that is difficult for people to to get a hold of in that when you have when you organize to take other people's property from them using using force using the gun of the state so to speak that this is an aggression. I, don't, I find it pretty simple, but a lot of people do have trouble accepting it, and that's one of the key foundations of physical removal as well. Um, in that it's not just like a debate or a difference of ideas. Like I believe in freedom of speech, but like I'm not saying I'm not one of these people who's going to say that fascism is enough for debate or whatever. But the fact is that it's not a debate of of peaceful ideas. It's there's the people who want to use force against me and my property and there's the people that don't and there's a difference in how these people should be treated in a libertarian social order.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Now uh, let's stay on the the topic of degeneracy, because there was a video that you just released recently, which talked about the the harmful effects of uh, pornography on people. And I noticed that in that video, you you emphasised that you you didn't want to ban it, and I, I think that there's uh, libertarians, there's always a need to emphasize that uh, we can you know disapprove of something think it's bad people shouldn't do it uh, and using the force of government to to ban it and this is a conversation i have with social conservatives all the time who think that pornography drugs uh, you know should be banned for the moral order of society but i always think that uh, the uh, consequences of prohibition always makes the problem worse than than it was uh, beforehand. Uh, So, what's your take on this this disagreement? Uh,
1: Yeah, I definitely, personally, I definitely wouldn't ban it. I definitely, I wouldn't ban, I also talked about sex robots and how these different uh, commodities are warping the sexual market and having negative effects on human relationships, but I wouldn't ban any of them because it's Antithetical to property rights. Essentially, if you accept property rights, you can't ban things just because you think they're degenerate. Like I don't think I, you can't use people that would act in a way that you wouldn't otherwise act, and, or you could think is a bad idea to act. Like it's it's just consistent with private property norms. Um, but that being said, I have sympathy with why while, while I would ban it because I personally identify as a social conservative on a personal level, in that I'm somebody who doesn't take drugs. I don't uh, engage in sexual hedonism. I, I try and avoid it. I'm, I'm, I'm a very kind of traditionalist person, I don't engage in hookup culture and, and these other such, uh, what they would call, degenerate things. So I definitely sympathize with why they would ban it, and I tend to agree with some of the arguments that they make for why they are negative, because obviously I think that on the social conservative side there's a lot of bad data, but nonetheless I, I definitely sympathize with it, But and there's also an argument to be made that when you put liberty as the forefront of your ideology, and this is why conservatives often try and say that libertarians want liberty but conservatives want sustained liberty is because there are certain behaviors that wouldn't necessarily in in and of themselves infringe on people's property rights but still infringe on people's liberty in the long term for and uh, one of the instances for pornography would be that there's a lot of research that suggests that as people watch pornography they become more tolerant of egalitarian leftist uh Ideas, they become less religious and uh, and other, they, and they become more prone to other behaviors that are kind of antithetical with people who believe in 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 freedom and, and liberty. So I do understand from that point, but um, again, it's if you, like, property rights isn't a utilitarian ideology, it's not about maximizing consequences in any way. It's it's an absolute. Um, it's an it's an absolute natural law based ideology so it's it's just not consistent and that's mainly my problem with it
0: i definitely think that on this issue of prohibition it it has to come from like like natural law is good but i don't, i don't think you can you can just say well you know it's uh, uh, you know, rampant sex and drugs should be legal because it's a right, I don't think that's good enough. You have to have the utilitarian argument as well, saying, let's think through the consequences of prohibition and it's not going to work as well as you think it will.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, sure, th- sure thing. There's definitely a, a utilitarian discussion to be had, but um, the, the utilitarian discussion is mainly for the sake of persuasiveness rather than the Set because, because of course, if you think that these these commodities will infringe on on freedom in the long run, then naturally there's a there's a discussion to be had about how that's actually not the case, and pro- prohibition will just make things worse. It's
0: uh, it's a, a whole, other subject: uh, natural rights versus utilitarianism. But I thought we would uh, finish yeah. today by. Uh, Just getting your thoughts about where we are headed. I mean, obviously, for people like us, 2016 was an amazing year. I mean, we saw Brexit and obviously the election of of Donald Trump this year. There's been, oh, I've, I'd say we're coming down from a bit of a high. I mean, the, the French presidential election was a big disappointment. Um, Trump, obviously, with he, his actions in Syria, upset uh, quite a lot of people. And uh, there's this general feeling that there's still a lot of work to be done in, in sort of uh, basically preserving the West and you know, protecting it from, from those who want to harm it. Where do you think we're at?
1: Uh, I'm pretty black pilled on the issue, and that annoys a lot of people. And for what that means, if you're a bit of a normie, is that I have a very catastrophic view. I I don't look at, I don't think that we're heading to anywhere necessarily better. I think Trump, the election of Donald Trump, and Brexit were pro- probably outliers in the groundscape things. I think that Europe is a lot of countries in europe are doomed if anything is to change in europe i believe that one of the countries will have to take a fall probably sweden or perhaps germany because i think that at this point just demographically uh the only thing that will reverse it is drastic measures of deportation which is probably not going to happen because most people would accept the demise of the societies they have built rather than be called a racism and other such things like that. I think America, um, obviously, there's an issue with demographics as well in terms of um, the the extinction of, of, white, of the white majority. But I think America is more likely to survive than Europe, despite that, because like you said earlier, I think ideologically and constitutionally, um, America is very well. Is very like it's not a libertarian society, but it's the most libertarian society. It has been for a, a long time. I, if there's arguments to be made that other countries, like for example, even Australia beats the United States in economic freedom, um, but nonetheless, to, to stop rambling about it, I think that Europe, a lot, most of Europe, is doomed. I think that the United States has a shot of surviving, especially with the election of Donald Trump. I mean, that was pretty impressive. Uh, he winning the minority vote, despite. I think Donald Trump has been pretty disappointing in his in his presidency so far. Things could change obviously, but I'm not impressed with the serious strike. And um it seems that every every few weeks now we just hear more news about him shilling to globalism and neoconservatives. Uh, like the, the Obamacare replacement the replacement was very disappointing. There there wasn't any word of tax cuts until until kind of recently, but still then I don't know if there's been anything drafted yet. And yeah so i'm pretty i'm just getting ready to sit back and watch the show uh i'm pretty black pill on it and i think that when like if you think that the world is progressively moving towards our ideology for some reason um then i, I just think that's kind of delusional
0: yeah, uh, that, that's a pretty sobering analysis. Uh, I definitely agree that yeah, Europe, uh, things are going to have to get a lot worse before people start to finally, you know, wake up and realize that things things need changing. I think America, uh, because of its history, and also uh, Australia as well, I think that uh, the the people are uh, w- uh, woken woken up to, to the threats. It's just a, it's just a matter of making sure that our political leaders listen to the people so i do think that we're in a better place america in america and australia but yeah it's it's still going to be a battle
1: yeah i think australia is actually one of the places to be cuz something to remember is that people like actually... Actually don't want globalism. If you look at the actual polls, uh, people of upwards of 50% in some countries in Europe want complete bans on Muslim immigration from the third world and other such nationalist ideas because globalism is very much non- democratic, like it's a, it's a system of bureaucrats that aren't elected and other such ideas that are antithetical to the, ironically, to what the left have been spouting for so long. So it's all happening at the expense of the population of Europe. It's happening against the will of the people who live there. So there's, a, the, it's very, um you know, there's a, uh, like to, to, to be a bit optimistic, it's, it's definitely people are starting to wake up to it as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's, there's definitely, at least in, in our country, I mean, uh, we're, we're definitely not as bad as Europe, but we're, we're currently heading in the wrong direction. But certainly uh, the, the people are a lot more, uh, to use another term, red-pilled in Australia and, uh, and <laughs> certainly are uh, realising the, the threats. So, yeah, we're, de- we're, we're definitely um, in, in, in a good nation, I would say.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for today. So, um, yeah, thank you, Deal Tom, for for coming on the show and having a a chat about philosophy and and current events.
1: Yeah, no worries, uh, Tim. Thanks for having me. It was good fun.
0: And I've of course encourage all of our listeners to go and subscribe to his uh, YouTube channel. I'll leave a link down into the description and I'll also uh, leave links to some of the videos we discussed on the show notes page and of course the usual reminders at the end of the show apply if you haven't yet signed up for the email list at the unshackled.net slash subscribe please consider supporting the work of the unshackled at the unshackled.net slash support also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast you can do so on soundcloud itunes stitcher tune in radio or view the video version on youtube and it's also now on facebook as well so you can view it there as well and of course don't forget to keep checking the upshackle.net for all the latest news thanks once again for listening and we'll see you next time